You are listening to a five-week teaching series from Jubilee Church entitled Generous. This series aims to equip you in becoming a generous person, not only one who blesses other people, but someone who experiences financial peace and reduces worry. If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Jubilee Church is a praying church, uh, not because we're a bunch of mystics, there's nothing mystical about me anyway, and, um, but because we want to be in constant communion with our Heavenly Father. We want to be in constant contact. We want to talk to Him and have Him talk to us. It's an example we see in the New Testament, it's an example we see in Jesus. And so we've, we've wanted to be a praying church, and we gather weekly. We gather more than uh, just this once a week, but we gather uh, most locations on Wednesday, other locations on different days. And uh, I would describe most of these times of prayer as, as great and encouraging. I mean, it's like the low end. If they're, on the low end, they're, they're great and encouraging, like taking a walk with God, just a really encouraging thing to do. But every once in a while, heaven dips in in a much more dramatic way and communicates something a bit more life-changing. So it's kind of like you're taking this walk with God, and all of a sudden, He picks you up, and He begins to whisper words to you, life-changing words. And I know for myself as an individual, um, man, this is at a massive, I've totally shaped my life. And just in the very beginning, just God calling me into relationship with him, him me hearing his voice totally affected my life. And, and, it's in, and hearing his voice uh, propelled me to lay down my career and, and to follow him into leading this church. And my wife and I, we've sold homes and moved to different places in the city to better uh, serve the mission that we believe God's calling us to. And it's also propelled us to give away large sums of money, at least large for us, relative to us. And, and you may have experienced that. I know we've experienced that as, as a church. We've done some pretty absurd things. This last month, we've been talking about the absurd things that God has done in and through us. Not because we are confident they were good ideas, but we were confident they were God ideas. And sometimes there's a difference. Uh, God ideas don't always look like good ideas. That is why wide is the path that leads to destruction. As narrow is the path that leads to life. Because it doesn't always look good on the front end. So we bought building, bought this building when, I don't know what the bank was thinking, but they loaned us some money and we uh, raised a few bucks, and 900000 to be exact. And uh, we made this happen and we've uh, started locations and, you know, we even... Asked a few experts, hey, what would you do if you're in our situation? Why well, wouldn't start another location? Okay, so we'll start another location. And so, um, but we believe God was in it. And so, now most of the time, uh, your, your walk with Christ, my walk with Christ, and our walk together as a community together, it's not in the peaks and it's not in the valleys. It's just kind of averagey. And I like averagey. I like, uh, I like incremental growth and measured outputs and inputs. I like to be able to plan and prepare. I like to know what's around the corner before I go around the corner. But unfortunately for me, a life of faith, um, you don't always get that. In fact, you, you rarely get that. Uh, God asks you to trust him. God asks you to do things that you don't see, but he sees. And uh, I bring this all up because I believe that God's whispered some things to me. I believe he's whispered some things to, some, to the elders, and, and, and I think a wider group than that, that he's leading us into some pretty 
big things. I believe this has church-wide implications, but where this all started, the, the history of all this was about a year ago, last summer, is, uh, as you know, we launched uh, Kirkwood a year and a half ago, and they've been meeting in a, a rental facility, and so we've just had in our mind, like, if we find something, um, maybe we'll get it. Well, this property came available on 89, uh, 29, excuse me, 8925 Watson Road. It's, it, it used to be uh, a hibachi grill, and uh, before that was a Ryan Steakhouse, and um, it's about three acres, 185 parking spots, 11,600 square feet, works. Um, and I said to Mike Lawson, who's an elder here, um, I said to him, I said, hey, if we can get this with not a lot of trouble, I think I'm interested. And because I don't think the church is ready for a fight. We just launched Kirkwood not even a year ago, and that just wasn't something the 130, 150 people who went there, that wasn't just their fight. That was the whole church's fight. I mean, the city location here, you know, just the investment of people and the investment of money, it was just, man, it was a big deal. I don't think the church is ready for another fight. And even if they're ready for another fight, I'm not ready for another fight. So I, I want some um, calm waters to, to kind of stroll through here for a while. And so we kicked the tires a little bit, and it looked like it was going to be a bit of a hassle, so we dropped it. Well, the fall rolls around, and God begins to show me some things about the people who live in the communities around there. And he began to take my eyes off the cost of this building and to the redemptive potential of this building. And it became more interested, interesting to us, and we took a more serious look. Now, while this was happening, this would be fall, late fall, you know, November, December, um, we're, we're planning and thinking about our 20-year anniversary where we just got finished that month celebrating. And, you know, Wes McCutcheon, uh, he was our video guy who went around every location and, and getting stories to kind of recount, okay, what, what has happened over these past uh, 20 years? And has he began to get your stories about how you saw the development of Jubilee Church, one of the things that was super clear was the faithfulness of God, that, that God would speak to us, and, and he would cause us to do things that didn't seem reasonable and certainly weren't easy, that people expressed faith, and God poured out a miracle. And I just began to think about the, widow, the story of the widow's oil in Second Kings 4. I, I ended up preaching that message about, oh yeah, you know, every time we put an empty jar before God, the blessing from God, the oil of God. Oil is only something God can do. He provides a blessing. But when we present our lives as empty jars, he loves to, you know, our faith and expectancy create a vacuum that heaven loves to fill. And we've seen that happen over and over and over and over again. And so we just begin to dream, hey, what's next for us? What's next for this church? Because if you know the church, I don't know if you know the church stats. I know you're busy with, you know, soccer practice and things like that, but you, I look at church stats, and the church stats say that after 15 years, the average church after 15 years begins to plateau, and after 25 years begins to decline, at 40 years it's gone. Our church is 20, so that's something both to celebrate, and it's a warning, so we're like, okay, what's next for us? What's God has for us? We want to take this, this seriously, and we began to dream, and we began to come up with some, some things, and actually, there, there are things written if you want to pull this out, this, this next uh, flyer right here, um, if you pull out your navy blue bulletin pack, you'll see this baby blue flyer that matches my baby blue shirt and my navy blue pants. 
I have not, I, I didn't I didn't design this but we do like blue so we begin to and they and it could be summed up in the, it's more than this it could be summed up in these into these four things but more and better facilities a tool for reaching people this was a this building that we bought here uh, in the city, Kings Highway, has been a massive tool to reach people in all the buildings that we've had and, and having those facilities um, improved upon and, and made better, makes a, make, it does make a big difference. We don't really make much of facilities. Um, um, we would like things a little bit gritty. I mean, my office is an embarrassment. If you went back there, it's not... It's, it's not good. I have a nice chair, but like the office itself is not great. And uh, but that would, that's okay. We're not into facilities, but we do see them as a great tool to reach people. More and better locations. You know, this us as a church. Where we build this church not for us. We build this church for other people. The church, when done rightly, is the only organization in the world whose primary benefit is for non-members. So I know we have this member, maybe you don't want to be a member now, because like the primary benefit is for non-members. It's not actually for members. When you sign up for membership, it's like, it's role reversal, and everything that you do, everything that you sacrifice for, it doesn't actually, it's not, it, God blesses you in that, but it's, you're doing it for other people. I think Jesus lived that way. More and better ministry to children and youth, I've said this, but... Um, over the past couple of years, I really believe that over the next 10 years, the greatest evangelistic opportunities that we have are among our youth and through our youth. And wanting to invest in that because I think we've maybe underinvested that in the past. More and better ministry to the marginalized. Now, there's a lot more about the what. That just says a little bit of what. It says very little about the why and says nothing about the how. promise you in the weeks to come... Um, We'll tackle that, but as we begin, as the location pastors, I mean, we begin to talk about this. We got really excited about that, and we're high-fiving each other. And while that was happening, I went into the other room, and I started thinking about the cost. And I got, uh, my heart sank. Um, I started to get really stressed out. And I don't get stressed out very much. It's one of the benefits of having no emotions, is uh, I don't get stressed out very much. And... Um, Thank you for laughing. And, um, <laughs> but I've really lost sleep. Over oh, the past month, I've really lost sleep over this. And I wish I could tell you I was a superhero pastor, you know, faith of steel, able to leap any challenge in a single bound. Um, but, in this, but, but that's not true. That's just, it's really gotten to me as I thought about it and uh, others have helped. But in this past week, I mean, this is fresh bread. In the past week, God's really helped me um, in a few different ways. I mean, he's been speaking to me, I think, for the past six months or so. But he's really helped me in, in three specific ways I want to share with you. One was a couple weeks ago, I hosted a mini conference for pastors. And uh, a pastor from, that I didn't know from, from a Methodist church in Peoria, Illinois, somehow heard about this event, wanted to come. So he comes and he said, hey, you know, I, I know this sounds strange, but, you know, I was watching one of your sermons on video and as I was watching uh, the sermon on video, God showed me this picture of you walking toward this storm. And it was, it was making you very nervous. 
But when you, in this picture, when, when you got to the storm, what you thought was going to bring destruction brought uh, a rain of blessing. I was like, okay, that might, that might apply exactly and, uh, to my situation. And um, so that was encouraging. And then last week, Dave Holden comes and just, so, I mean, I hope you got something out of it, but I got a ton out of it. That God carries us, and he's carrying this church. And I, and I needed to hear that. You know, I, I've preached on that. I know all the verses, but sometimes what we know in our head, we don't always feel in our heart. And I needed to, to hear that. And then what encouraged me, again, this is just encouragement. This is actually what, is in, in praying last week in our, one of our Wednesday morning prayer meetings, um, John Lamfram and the founding elder of this church, he came into that prayer meeting and, and just shared this impression that he had about something he, God was speaking for, for this church. And he had this thought of, of just what was happening in California with this, where this river broke through this dam. And he had this picture of this river breaking through this dam and, and he talked about, you know, a river is, has a life of its own and has its own energy and a dam is a man-made effort to control this river. And this river broke through this man-made control system. And he's just like, he said, you know, I believe God is bringing blessing to us that he wants to bust through any man-made attempt to kind of control it. Now, number one, this was like, that's me. Because like, I'm just like, man, I feel like I'm trying to control what God's doing. But I think it's for us. And, and, and that may seem, it's an encouraging word, but when you first hear it, it's threatening. I mean, it's a threatening picture. Um, when you don't know how the story is going to end. But God knows how the story is going to end. And he invites us into it. He won't, force ourself, he won't force himself upon us, but he invites us to let go of our own control and to participate what he's in, inviting us into. And, and so we're not the hype church. I'm, I'm, I, I don't even know how to hype if I, if I did, if we were. And we're not. We're very chilled out about uh, money and fundraising and you know I don't know how long you've been here but we just don't do that we're very very shirt untucked very you know it's kind of over there in a dark corner if you can find it kind of way and um so we're not we're not into that um but we do want to you know we and again we don't trick out our buildings or anything like that but we do want to be a people who hear God and when we hear God we want to follow it because we can't imagine another way of living it's like the disciples in, in John 6. Jesus fed the 5,000. And once the show was over, they left when they heard about the cost. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, hey, do you want to go too? And Peter piped up, where else would we go? Only you have the words of eternal life. And we want to live like that, holding on to every word of God. So with that, um, let me tell you what stressed me out. Um, as we... As I consider what this was going to cost us, somewhere in, some, we're, we're, therefore, we're seeking to raise over the next three years, not all at once, but over the next three years, between $800,000 and $1.4 million across our locations. Now, if that sounds like a lot of money, it's because it is a lot of money. Um, but I believe that our, our, our um, normal general and benevolence is a little over, it's about a million dollars 
and we're seeking to raise this 800,000, 1.4 million above and beyond that uh, for these things. And like I said, over the next four to six weeks, I'm going to give a lot more information as to why, uh, a little bit more on what, but really on how, because there's really nothing in there. But what I want to do now is I'm going to leave it at that, but I want to prepare us. I want to pastor us into how can we respond to this. If you have to discern in your own heart, if you feel like this is something God's calling us into and and respond accordingly with your own faith, I'm going to express to you my faith. And I realize it may take a while. It took me a long while. I'm a little slow. Hopefully it takes you a little quicker than it took me. But I want to to, to help prepare us to respond to where I believe God wants to lead us. That's why over the next five weeks, I want to talk about something that you probably think you know how to do. But if no one's ever taught you how to do it, you may think you know how, but you don't. And that is, I want to teach us how to be generous. Not how to give. Everyone in America knows how to give. This is a talk on how to be something, not simply do something. Everybody in America knows how to give um, because we've all heard a sales pitch. Um, You know, I had a few knock on my door yesterday. Somebody inspired you, so you gave. Somebody guilted you, so you gave. Uh, But one thing you need to know about generosity right out of the gate is the motivation for generous people transcends guilt. It transcends inspiration. In fact... It's really hard to make a truly generous person feel guilty because they've built their life around being a generous person. And here's my promise to you. If you learn and apply what it means to be a generous person, you will give more money, bless more people, and you will be happier, and you will worry less. That is my promise to you. Well, it's not just my promise to you. It's the promise of Jesus to you that if you learn what it means to be a generous person, you will give more money. You'll probably save more money too. You'll bless more people. You will be happier. And you will worry less. But to be a generous person is something we need to be taught because while it's cultural, we, know, we all know we ought to, it's not natural. It's not natural. Just like you know, our kids, we have to teach our kids to share, right? Toddlers, we need to teach them to share. You know, like the first word they learn after mama is mine. So anything that touches their hand is mine. That blanket is mine. You know, that food is mine. That toy is mine. Dad's mint-conditioned baseball cards that were now a wet, crumbly mess, those are mine too. Anything my, <laughs> touches my hand, a tom, toddler says, is what's that word? My, see, you know, you know that word too. And so, but it's not their fault. We don't, we don't get mad at toddlers because they don't share, because they need to be taught how to share. And if you're not yet a generous person, hey, it's not your fault. Maybe you need to be taught how to be a generous person. And that's what the next five weeks is about. It's about teaching. What does it look like to be a generous person? 
And the Macedonians are a great example for us. And that's why Paul, where Paul talks about it. He, he, he wants to point our attention to the Macedonians, Macedonians to be our teachers. And so in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is challenging the wealthier Christian believers to follow the example of the much, much, much poorer Macedonian believers. And he says this. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches in Macedonia. Paul's like, he says, I want to show you evidence of something that they've received God's grace because they are giving God's grace. The grace of God is tangible. The grace of God is tangible. It's, it's what Jesus was saying in Luke 6 when he says, you can tell a tree by its fruit. If you, if you say that's an orange tree, you expect to see oranges. If you say that's an apple tree, you expect to see apples. If you say that's a Christian, you expect to see Christ. If you've received grace, you expect to see tangible evidence of grace. So Paul's like, let me show you what grace looks like. What does it look like to have grace flood into your life? I know I want, I want, I want to receive grace as much, I want to receive all the grace I can. And as I receive grace, if, as I truly receive it, my life is going to be this tree of grace. It's going to be expressed in many different ways. And so he goes on to say, for in a severe test of affliction, this next sentence blows my mind. Their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty. Do you believe that abundance of joy goes with extreme poverty? Not if you're an American. Extreme poverty, excuse me, abundance of joy does not go with extreme poverty. This has overflowed into a wealth of generosity. So this is what happened. Let me make sure we get this. Their poverty, number one, did not affect their joy. Their poverty, their extreme poverty, had no bearing on the joy that they experienced. Zero. And their poverty did not affect their generosity. The Macedonians are not what you would call a situational giver. See, there's a difference between giving situationally and being a generous person. A situational giver will say, if I have the cash and if I have my needs met and there's a little bit left over, and if you convince me, if you inspire me, if you guilt me, then maybe I'll think about it. Catch me on a good day, perhaps. Generous people just do not have moments where they give, but they build their life around generosity. Because the Macedonians are not just in poverty. They are in extreme poverty. They didn't just give when they could afford it because they couldn't afford it. They just gave no matter what. Now, you might find it interesting to know that the poorest Christians, those who make $20,000 or less, give the highest percentage of their income. Do you know that? Wait a minute. I thought if we get more money, we'll be more generous. Isn't that the myth you and I believe? I'll be generous when I get more money. Statistically, the opposite is true. The more money you get... See, see, you can write this down. Let me me say that. Generous people are generous. Rich people are rich. Poor people are poor. And they're not always the same. 
you can be generous and be rich like the Corinthians and like you and I, to be quite frank. See, the reason why you don't feel like you're rich is because you can always find someone who has, who has more than you do. But if you get outside of the United States, it's, we're rich. By any standard, if you're in this room today, if you could read the sign that said the service starts at 11, you are rich. You could be rich and be generous, or you can be in extreme poverty like the Macedonians. Most people, again, lie, I'll give when I, but we don't, we just don't. See, see, spending is like an appetite. The more you feed it, the more, the bigger appetite you have. So if you, if you spend your money on things, then you'll just have a bigger appetite for that. More and bigger and better. But if you, if, you, if you give yourself to generosity, you'll have an appetite for that too. It's like, you know, your, your iPhone. It's like, when you, I don't know, like, when I remember, I don't know what, I think when I first got my, my very first iPhone, like, the max was like two gigabytes or something like that. When will I ever use two gigabytes? I have 16 gigabytes on this phone, and I'm deleting stuff every day because I'm always getting that message, you know, well, I got to have this app, and I got to have this app, and I got to have this app, and I got to have this app. Why was it? You know, just a few years ago, I could never dream of using more than two gigabytes, but now I use all of 16. Same thing with money. I mean, what would it take for you to be more generous? 10% more? 20% more? Here's a test. Think back to when you made 20% less. Is that true? It's not. Generous people are generous. Rich people are rich. Whether you are have a lot or have little. And it also reminds us that that really this is about an issue of the heart. God looks at the heart. This next resource initiative has an objective goal in mind. But let me just tell you, this is just, this is, I really believe that this is just a big setup from God to get to not our money, but our heart. Uh, this is much more, imp- this deal that we're getting ready to get into has way more to do with our own hearts than it is about some ministry purpose. I mean, God can take, you know, two fish and five loaves and feed 5,000. He could take water and turn it into choice wine. If he needs to pay his taxes, he can take a coin out of the mouth of a fish. He's not after our money, but he is after our heart. That's why he said of the widow who gave two copper coins. Check this out in Mark 12, uh, 44. Let me read this to you. It's such a great story. It's very much like the Macedonians. And Jesus sat opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in the, into the offering box. It was kind of like if I just, you know, put a spotlight over there on the, wherever the offering boxes are. And I just sat there and just watched people give money. That's what Jesus was doing. He's just watching people. Many rich people put in large sums. Kathunk, kathunk, kathunk. Then here comes this little old woman. Two copper coins worth a penny. And Jesus says, Jordan, stop the music. Stop the music. I have an announcement to make. This woman gave more money than all y'all. What? She just gave two little copper coins. For you, for they contributed out of their abundance... But she gave out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, 
all she had to live on. And there might be some of you, you'll give something like that, and I just want to encourage you that that will go a long way to fulfilling the ministry that God has for this church. Because he's not looking for a sum of money. He's looking for our hearts. Now, there are others of us who giving like that is not giving out of our hearts. We may need to follow the example of Barnabas in Acts 4, who sold a field worth an untold amount of money, and he gave that. Both the widow's might and the Barnabas field is going to build what God wants to build in this church. That should encourage those of us who have less, and it should challenge those of us who have more. Some of you have fields to sell. Others of you only have two mites, but both will build the church. My kids, they get a dollar here and a dollar there, and they have give, save, and spend jars. And they got their money all stashed away, and they will give toward this um, resource initiative. I think it's great to teach your kids to give. My wife and I will write a check, and our, the amount of our check and the amount that we pledge over the next few years will be way, way bigger than what our kids give. The sum will be way, way bigger, but I don't know which one will be more generous because God looks at the heart. Paul continues, for they gave according to their means. So they, they had this predetermined percentage that they gave. They planned to give. They were consistent in giving. We'll talk more about that later. But it wasn't just that, because check out what Paul says next. He says, and I can testify above their means on their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So this is what happened. Paul sent out a notice to all the churches, but he didn't tell He didn't tell the Macedonians, probably because their poverty was so well known. And they heard, we said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Paul, if you're raising money to give to other people, we want in on that. So, So typically, the Macedonians didn't understand how fundraising works. You see, how fundraising works is a guy like me with a face mic gets up here with inspiring stories and and pictures and Sarah McLaughlin music, and I, and I beg earnestly for you to give money. This was total role reversal. Because the donors were begging the fundraiser, earnestly, can we be a part of this? Paul's like, okay. We'll let you. Unbelievable. They were on the hunt, looking to be generous. Generous people do not have to be prodded, begged, and shown a bunch of heart-wrenching pictures before they give. They're just predisposed. They just build their life around this. And this was not as we expected, Paul says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. Now, anytime you give money to a church, uh, to the poor, to some kingdom initiative, you, you are not primarily giving to the need or the vision or the cause. You, you are primarily giving to God. Now, over the next four to six weeks, I will do my best. I will do my best to explain to you the benefits 
the why, the what, and the how of what we're getting ready to do. But I want you to know that that ultimately and firstly and primarily isn't what you're giving to. You're not giving to the merits of this resource initiative. You're giving to the merits of God himself. Because you give, we give first to God and then humbly, I say this humbly, by the will of God, we, you give to the vision of the church, with the, you know, what the leaders put out in front. You're, you have to, we have to first get our hearts right. This is about what we think about God. First and foremost, about what we think about whatever the project is. We give first to God. And the reason why we give first to God is because it's from God. Everything that we have in this life is a gift. The money in your pocket is a gift. Your pocket is a gift. The education you have is a gift. The relationships you have are a gift. Your health is a gift. And you're like, well, you know, I worked really hard and I went to school. and da, da, da. If you were born in 16th century outer Mongolia, I don't care how hard you work or how smart you are, you would not have a fraction of the wealth of the poorest person in this room. Regardless of who's president, 21st century America is a massive, massive gift to you. Nobody in their womb said, I will take America, health, wealth, opportunity, please. You were given that. You were born in the wealthiest country ever. Ever. Most undoubtedly, you're in the top 10% in this country, regardless of what you have. If If you make the average income in America, if you're just an average income earner, you're in the top 1%. And we live in this mythical world where the titles of our cars and the titles of our houses have our name on it. So we think we own them. But we don't. Psalm 24 says, hey, the whole earth is mine and everything therein. It's all a gift. We are not owners of what's in our possession. We are stewards of what's in our possession. We steward money. We may have the decision-making power and control of it. So we can do whatever we want with it. We can invest it wisely. We can waste it. We can do whatever. God gives us the freedom to do whatever. It's in our control. He puts it in our control. But it's not, it's not ours. It's not ours. Um, I was a stockbroker uh, from 1998 to 2004. And what, and what happened is pe- people paid me to manage their money for them. So I had millions of dollars under my authority control that I could invest how I saw fit. So I made the decisions where money went. But I, but I did so at the, at the interest of the one who owned it. It was my responsibility. In fact, it was my legal responsibility to do that. Some didn't went to jail. Um, you go, I, could go, I could have gone to jail for that. I could have been fined for that. I was a steward of other people's money. I had the decision making, but I wasn't to spend it on my, what, what made me happy. I was to spend it on what made the owner happy. What makes God happy? Jesus says that when just one person, one person becomes a Christian, 
heaven throws a huge party. People coming into relationship with him makes him very happy. When the poor get fed, because whatever you do, the least of these, you do unto me. When we, it makes him happy. It makes him happy. That's what he wants. And in fact, turn over to 2 Corinthians um, 9 8. This is a, just a real clear picture about the meaning of our wealth. 2 Corinthians 9 8 says this. And God is able to make. Oh, now, check. Under, I think you should underline the, the all words. God is, made, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in what? Everything. So here's the good news for you. God will always supply what you need. Always. He will always, 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 always give you a sufficiency. He takes care of the birds in the air and he takes care of the lilies in the field He is going to give you sufficiency for your needs. Always. Always. That should make you happy. You don't have to be sad about that. It's a happy thing. Happy thing. And you have an abundance for every good deed. That's the clearest picture of the meaning of wealth that I can find in the Bible. God is saying that he will supply all of our needs, but the abundance that we have, the abundance that he has, that we have, is for every good work. This verse says that there's not a need, there's not a church that needs to be planted, there's not a ministry that needs to be funded, there's not a building that needs to be bought, there's not poor who needs to be fed, that God has not provided the resource for. It's only a matter of you and I letting it go. Which is why that we can walk into something like this Something as big as this. And the questions of like, where is this going to come from? I've got good news for you. He's already given it to us. It's in our bank accounts. It's in our income. And what he's going to call us to do. There'll be no thermometer on stage. There'll be no compulsion. There'll be none of that. Here's what there'll be. There'll be teaching of God's word over the next few months explaining the needs the best we have and you be going before God and say God what is it that you want to drill into my heart what is it that I'm holding on to that you want me to let go and here's what's going to happen more people are going to get blessed you're going to be happier and you're going to worry less and you're going to smile more I took a personality test a few months ago, and one of the things that it said about me is that I have a temptation to be greedy. I prefer careful with money, but a spade's a spade. When I was nine years old, I I would often talk my older brother into letting me have his turn to mow the grass so I'd get the money for it. And then when he ran out of money, which he always did, I would loan him money with interest. (laughs) Now, unfortunately for him, the interest rates were really high in the early 80s. And so this ambition and and greed um, continued in my teens and 20s. And I made up my mind that I was going to make lots of money and retire early. So I have lots of time to cackle and count my coins. And 
But God interrupted my life in 1998 and pulled me close, and I started following him in every area of my life except finances. Martin Luther said, oftentimes the last thing to be converted is a man's wallet. That was true of me. And about a year or so later, in 1999, I was still in my first year as a stockbroker. Uh, didn't have many stocks, but I was broker. And um, <laughs> I was having a hard time making it. It's just one of those businesses. If you know what it's like, it's hard. And so, and I was, and it was really embarrassing for me because I had these plans about what my life would look like and things I would have. And, and I just, I don't know what caused me to do this, but I do remember God bringing me to this memory. And I remember the very beginning of November 1999, writing my very first tithe check, 10% of what I made. It was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I would still say writing that check was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But I cannot tell you, it was all, I cannot tell you the freedom that I experienced in that moment and ever since. God did something in me. The closest thing I could say, it was like a drug addict being freed from heroin. That this thing about giving money, this fear I had about giving money, and what if, and what if, and what about this, and what about my, what about things that I wanted, the retirement, all those things. It just broke in me. God loosened something in me. He freed me. When I look back and I look back at the money that my wife and I have given and things, I, I don't regret any of it. In fact, the only thing I regret is I wish, I look back and like, oh, there's ways I could have given more. God freed me and I want that freedom for you. I think this resource initiative this this there it is sorry i think this is just a big setup of god to get to your heart he wants to free you see when we become a christian christ sets us free but we don't always walk in that freedom we stay in slavery and this is one of the areas that you may be enslaved in and god wants to free you but I don't want to point you primarily to my example or even the example of the Macedonians. But we must look to the example of Jesus. So Paul ends how he started by talking about grace. He says, I, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might Become rich. Generosity is not a requirement for Christianity, but it is a reflection that you are. It's not a requirement for Christianity, but it is a reflection of the grace that you receive. See, Jesus had this choice. He could have held on to himself, or he could have held on to you. And he held on to you. He didn't just let go of his possessions, he let go of his life to both give us an example and empower us to live a life that doesn't hold on to what God gives us, even our own lives, but to let it go. And here's what I want you to consider. Generosity 2,000 years ago 
absolutely transformed the world. The world has not been the same since. And it's created a ripple effect that you and I stand on the benefit of. Of people giving away and giving away and giving away and giving away. And people have been blessed and people have been set free. And what I'm really calling you into as your pastor is I'm calling you into not just to give so other people can be blessed, which hallelujah, that will happen. I'm calling you into freedom. I'm calling you into joy. I'm calling you into peace. To trust in the one who richly provides and not our riches. And that can happen for you as we consider this. Now I'm going to, over the next few weeks, I'm going to explain more about what's happening. I'm going to explain more about how we can be generous.